Father in heaven, today we're asking that your Holy Spirit would be present in this place in great power. Lord, we pray believing, believing that your Spirit longs to be in this place. So Lord, uh, send your Spirit now. And as we reflect on these words, open our hearts, not just our ears, that we will hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. We've been reflecting on the words of Luke chapter 15 for the last uh, two weeks, and, and we'll, we'll take it up again next Sabbath. <clears throat> but one of the things that's easy to forget about this chapter, because it's got a lot of stories in it that are famous that we know, it's easy to forget that the initiator for these stories was indignation. The reason Jesus tells these stories <clears throat> is because the righteous folk were unhappy with the choices Jesus was making in his associations. And Jesus responds to this unhappiness with three stories. Two of them actually very simple in their details. The third, a few more details, but all three of them very profound. Today we move to the third of the three parables that Jesus has told. But, but before we get there, I want to review the other two, and that'll be relevant at the end because because I also want to talk today to the lost sheep and the lost coins that are here. So, so we go back to Luke chapter 15, verse 3. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. And as we reflected on that story a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how offensive that story feels sometimes because we automatically tend to associate ourselves with the 99. And we feel annoyed that the shepherd would spend all his time going after that one that was lost and then, not, and then celebrate the one that wandered off, not the 99 that stayed put. And that's the mindset we tend to have about that story until the sheep that's missing is a sheep we love. And then the story changes. When the sheep is one of the people that you love, you go looking and you celebrate. But then comes this verse we often lose sight of because that we get distracted by the other part of the story. Verse 7, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And again, sometimes that offends us a little, right? God is more pleased with a sinner repenting than with 99 of us in here doing right? Well, I don't think it's suggesting God is unhappy with this doing right, but I do give us this caution in the context of this. There's something wrong, I think. We don't do well when we're offended by something that causes joy in heaven, right? That's a good caution for us. If the Bible says they rejoice in heaven over this, maybe we should not be offended, but the lesson wasn't just for the 99, it was for the lost sheep as well. Do you remember what we said to the lost sheep? We said, get offense. 
Offense is an arbitrary barrier that you place in your life that keeps you from going somewhere you shouldn't go. You see, the problem with the lost sheep is they don't have good sense. They wander off. So the only way to keep a lost sheep in the pasture is to put a fence out there. Now, here's the, the, the trap on this. The tendency is to look for the fence, the one that applies to everybody. Okay, that's not exactly how it works. If we could call the Ten Commandments that, that's great. But probably the Ten Commandments does not have the necessary specificity you need in your life to keep you from getting in trouble. Therefore, based on your weaknesses, based on how you get into sin, you've got to put barriers in your life that says, I go no further than this. But I might not need that same barrier in my life because I don't have that weakness. But on the other hand, my weakness is over here. And I'm going to put up a fence for me that you may not need in your life. So you don't need somebody else's fence. You don't need the fence. You need the fence that you work out with God. You remember that passage that says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God in you to move and to do according to his purpose. So these are people who have accepted God's grace, but now they're working out the details of living as a Christian. And we all have to work that out. So that was the lost sheep. Then we talked about the lost coin. Verse 8, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. So here's what's crazy about the lost coin story. We're not naturally offended by it at all because we inherently understand the value of currency, which is kind of sad when you think about it that we don't really obviously see the value of a lost sheep. But we know about money, right? If you got 10 $100 bills and one goes missing, you don't go, well, well, too bad. What are you going to do? No, you put the nine over here and you search till you find the other one, right? We get this story. Makes sense. Therefore, the conclusion doesn't seem so hard. Verse 10, in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So we had a message for the lost coins last Sabbath, and we talked about the lost coins as the ones who sit here week after week but never seem to realize this isn't a show. We're not putting on a show here. You can probably find a better show than this. What's happening here is actually miraculous. What's happening on a weekly basis is this is nothing less than a gathering of the people of God. The ones redeemed by the blood of Jesus and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Anything could happen any Sabbath because the people of God are gathered in the name of Jesus. And any time we come in through these doors without some expectation of something remarkable happening, we're kind of being lost coins because the kingdom of God, as Paul tells us, is not talk its power. So all the words we say, if all they are is words, if all this is is show, you're missing it. There's power here. Power in the Holy Spirit. So we said to the lost coins, you need to get a clue. And last week was your wake-up call. Today's your wake-up day. But those two stories are fine. Let's, let's leave them there. Today we confront the most offensive story of them all. It's as if Jesus has saved the worst for last. 
Because see, perhaps we can forgive the foolishness of lost sheep and the cluelessness of a lost coin. I mean, they do wrong, but they don't really mean to, right? They're, they're just weak-minded or maybe they're weak-willed, but they're not ill-willed. Today we confront the most offensive story of all because today the story is about one of the favored ones. But a favored one who despises the favor shown him and despises all the good done for him and all the opportunities he's been given and all the love and goodwill showered on him. We know these people. We've met these people in our lives. And despite being given every opportunity to live and do right, they, in a fit of selfishness, deliberately turn their backs on everything that is right and on everyone that loves them and go out into the world and do those things that you always wished you could do if you weren't such a good older brother. Wait, I didn't end that right. Let's back up. Go out into the world and live licentiously and immorally. Let's not jump the gun on the older brother. That's next Sabbath. That's the conclusion to this this series. Really, it's just one really long sermon just chopped into four pieces. That's next week. Today, let's read this provocative story. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. All right, so a, a little context on this. So in, in those days, when a, when a father got old and, and, and died or was about to die, he would, he would give his property to his sons. Now, the normal way of doing it was the oldest son got a double portion, and then each son after that got a single portion of it. So, so presuming there's only three in this family then there would have been a double portion for that older brother and, and, a, and another portion, so a third for the younger brother. Now, you see this play out in different ways in different Bible stories. The Jacob story is very interesting because Jacob gets to the end of his life and he's got all these sons. And, and he, normally you would give the double portion to the oldest son, and that would have been Reuben in his case. But Jacob actually ends up giving the double portion to Joseph, the oldest son of Rachel. Now, how does he do that? Well, you remember that story where he takes Ephraim and Manasseh and he says, you will be as my sons. Those are the two sons of Joseph. He takes the two and makes them equal with the other brothers. He's giving the double portion. That's why there's no tribe of Joseph. But there is a tribe of Ephraim and Manasseh. So so the double portion there went to Joseph. You also see this in an interesting way in the story of Elijah and Elisha, where Elijah is being taken up to heaven, and they're walking along and they're talking, and Elijah says to him, Elijah says to Elisha, what can I do for you before I go? And Elisha says, permit that a double portion of your spirit fall upon me. Now, he's not saying there, let me be twice the prophet you were. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, of all your sons, which were the prophets, of all your sons, let me be your eldest son. It's really a beautiful statement. He's really saying, be a father to me and let me be your eldest son. So the younger son, presuming there were just two, he's going to get a third of the estate. Now, you can imagine, typically this happened when a father was old. So this is pretty hurtful to come and say, give me mine now. 
And it probably wasn't easy to do either. If you've ever owned a business or something, you know that you have a lot of assets, but they're, but they're concrete assets. They're not liquid assets. So somehow this father had to figure out how to divest of certain things in certain ways so that he could give the equivalent of one-third of the whole estate to this son. Now, can you imagine the hardship that caused for the function of the whole operation? You see, when one of the team players quits playing, it hurts the team. And so this younger brother now has thrown the whole, the whole enterprise into question and no doubt the older brother and the father had to work really hard and overcome a, a cash flow problem for a while to try to get this thing back on its feet. Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. It's a very short and a very sad verse that describes far too many lives. And it's easy for us when we hear a story like that, we just, we kind of step back and we shake our heads and say, well, I guess now he's going to get what he deserves until that one is one we love. And then all we can do is weep. Verse 14, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. We have a saying for this condition in our day. We call it hitting rock bottom. You've heard that saying? Have you ever done this? Here's the interesting thing about rock bottom. It doesn't actually happen at the same place for everyone. The, the depth of rock bottom in your life will be directly proportional to your lack of wisdom and your stubbornness. If you're extremely unwise and extremely stubborn, some people are so stubborn and unwise they die before they ever get to rock bottom. The good news for all of you here today is you're not dead yet. The bad news is some of you are on a very bad trajectory, and if you don't surrender to the Holy Spirit and lay down your pride, your fall to the bottom has just begun. So a few years ago, we did the series in the fall about the Ten Commandments, the Ten. And one of the comments we made during that, that series was, you never get away with breaking one of the Ten. You always pay. And it's not because God is punitive. It's because sin destroys you. So you never get away with it. And that's why we said with that series, God didn't give us the 10 to save us from hell when we die. God gave us the 10 to save us from living in hell until we die. You remember that? Yeah, that's why we have the law. Where are you living today? How much do you have to lose before you surrender? Are you like the younger brother who had to lose it all before he could come to his senses? Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. 
I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now it is at this moment, if if you're paying attention to this story, that you realize something very important about prodigal sons and prodigal daughters. That's the prodigal is the name tradition has given the story. And what you learn is this. You can't go get a prodigal son or daughter. You have to wait for them to come to their senses. You go get lost sheep and you help them build a fence. You search and you find lost coins and you help them wake up. But lost sons, you sit and you wait. And it is the hardest experience of all. Lost sheep know they're lost, but they don't know the way back. They didn't leave because they were mad. They didn't stomp away. They got distracted and wandered off. So you go and you find them, and they're like, oh, wow, yeah. And you bring them back, and they're like, okay, thank you. And they come back, and you help them build a fence so they don't do it again. Lost coins aren't even gone. They're, they're just laying around. But you have to find them and help them wake up, help them get a clue. Lost sons know they're lost, just like lost sheep, but unlike lost sheep, lost sons are lost on purpose. And until they give up their rebellion, you cannot bring them home. Many a well-meaning parent or friend has driven a prodigal further away in their attempts to bring them home. This calls for discernment on your part. You must know, is this a rebellion? Because if it is, you might make it worse. This calls for discernment, and it calls for something else, a word that we pull out every now and then, hupomone, patient endurance. You know how often you pray for a prodigal? You do it today. And today, and today, and today, and today, you never stop. Even if they never come home in your lifetime, you never stop. Verse 20. So the younger brother got up and went to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He's he's got his speech going. He's ready to give his speech. His dad's not interested in the speech at all. He cuts him off. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now you know there's more to this story. But this is where we stop today. Because the rest of today is for the lost sheep, the lost coins, and the lost sons and daughters in this room right now, down here, up there. This is for you all. We told the lost sheep you need to get a fence. 
We told the lost coin, you need to get a clue. Today we tell the lost sons and daughters, you need to get a life. Or at least you need to get a life worth living. Your rebellion will kill you. And because you are so stubborn, none of us can go and get you. We can't help you. You have to surrender your drive to know the world more and trade it in for the desire to know Jesus more. Jesus said in John chapter 10, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Do you believe that? Do you believe what Jesus wants for you is more abundant than what the world has? What you think you want from the world, the world cannot give you. You will learn that the day you reach rock bottom. Let me see the hands of all of you out there who have found rock bottom in your life before you found your way back. Let me see your hands. Put them up. Look around you. Everybody look around you, especially young people. Look around you. Okay, my hand's up because it should be. All right? I'm not an example here. This is reality. Let me ask all of you who raised your hands. Are the years you spent separated from Jesus a source of joy to you today, or are they the source of your greatest sorrow? It's greatest sorrow. Greatest sorrow. Now, I'm not so much a prodigal son. We talked about this. I'm more of a lost sheep. I just do dumb stuff. But I know all of this well enough. I have had my own version of rock bottom where I thought, if I stay here, I will lose everything I really care about. Is this really the life I want? I carry sorrow to this day for some of the choices I made and some of the pain I caused to myself and to others during those times of wandering. Well, today is the wake-up day. Today is the wake-up day for all of the lost sheep, all of the lost coins, and all of the lost sons, of do- sons and daughters. The rest of this service is about you. It's not about the 99. It's not about the 9. It's about you. The rest of this service is about you and about the decision you need to make today. You see, today is a good old-fashioned come-to-Jesus day. And if you need to come to Jesus, you're feeling it right now. I know you are. Why do I say that so confidently? I say it because I and many others have spent this week praying for this moment and praying specifically for this space here in the front of this church, that this would be a consecrated space. The pastoral staff has been in here multiple times on different days. I came through here every morning this week and prayed for this space before I went to my office, right here. Wednesday night at House of Prayer, and those are praying people. When they pray, stuff happens. House of Prayer people at the end of House of Prayer gathered up here and walked back and forth in this space praying for you, praying for this moment right now. Last night I gathered with Justin and and the musicians and we stood here in a circle right here in this space and prayed for you and they prayed that every note they played would be as the Spirit on your heart. 
And there isn't a safe seat in here. Because yesterday I walked down every row and ran my hand across every row and prayed that every seat would be a seat where the Holy Spirit was present. You're not off the hook in the balcony either. I went up there too. I touched every seat in this room. I believe in the power of prayer. And I believe that the Lord has been bringing us to this day for quite some time. And now it's here, and this is your moment. Lost sheep, lost coins, lost sons, lost daughters. Today is the day your life changes. Do you believe it? Can you believe that? Your trajectory towards futility and destruction ends, and a new course is set. For some of you, that means today you design and build your fence so you don't keep wandering off. For some others, it means today you set aside that spiritual cynicism that's been creeping in on you. Eh, what is it really all about after all? No, you put that down and you grab simple faith again. And for you prodigals here today, today the rebellion ends. Today, Jesus becomes Lord of your life. Now, I want the whole church involved in this moment. So in a second, I want everybody to close your eyes, and we're going to have a moment of silent, fervent prayer that the Holy Spirit would be released in our midst right now. Okay? We're all going to be involved in this. I want everybody on board because there are battles being fought right now in people's lives. And we want God to win this. So bow your heads with me and let us pray for God's Spirit. All the lost sheep, all the lost coins, all the lost sons and daughters, here is the text I want you to have in your mind right now. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. Today is the day to surrender your fight and put your trust in Jesus. I come to you with the words of Elijah that he spoke to the people he loved so long ago. How long halt ye between two opinions? If Jesus is Lord, follow him. Now in a moment, Justin and, and his team are going to sing. And we chose this specifically today. Because today isn't about the 99 righteous. Today is about the lost sheep. Today is about the lost coin. Today is about the lost son and daughter. They're going to sing and they're going to play. 
And the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, particularly on those who need to take a stand for Jesus today. You lost sheep, you lost coins, you sons and daughters. This is, this is commitment. I will put my fence in. I will wake up to you, Lord. I will put down my rebellion. Whatever it is in your heart that the Lord is saying right now, when you feel the Spirit working in you, in that moment, don't hesitate. Come to this space that has been consecrated for you. Because the front of this sanctuary today has been set aside by prayer to be a place of grace and a place of forgiveness and a place of welcoming home. Does any of that sound good to your heart? Don't miss this great deliverance. Some of our staff is here to help out. So Pastor Barb and Pastor Juan and Pastor Les and Pastor Alicia are going to come up here right now and, and spread themselves out across the front here to welcome you. To welcome you. Don't miss this moment. Jesus is calling you. Come and receive grace. Come and receive forgiveness. Come and lay down your fight.